Welcome to this talk from Emmaus Road, a church with congregations in Guildford, Woking and Aldershot in the UK. To find out more about who we are and what we're up to, please visit us online at EmmausRoad.com. I want to talk to you about how to survive the zombie apocalypse which I think we can agree is upon us and is necessary to survive. This will become clear, but first, some of you will remember one of the great moments in British comedy, Only Fools and Horses, Trigger's Broom. Do you remember that? Trigger holds up his favorite broom and he says, oh, this old thing. Never let me down, about it for 20 years. And then he says, I've replaced the handle 17 times and the head 14 times, but the broom's not let me down. Sometimes life feels extraordinarily like Trigger's broom. Nothing's changing. And yet quietly everything is changing. The process of spiritual transformation uh, can be a lot like that. Um, by the way, Trigger's broom is, is a reworking of the old philosophical conundrum of Theseus's paradox. In Greek mythology, Theseus has a ship, and he's steadily repairing it and replacing it one bit at a time. And eventually, the last little bit of the original ship is replaced. And so philosophers have great fun on university campuses and literally nowhere else <coughs> discussing whether Theseus's ship is still Theseus's ship. Is Trigger's broom still Trigger's broom? It's a lot like that uh, in the world at the moment. Same old five pound note seems to be worth half what it used to be. Get up in the morning, same old routine, New monarch, new prime minister, new everything. The Bible says very clearly that we are being transformed day by day, incrementally from one degree of glory to the next. If we are in Christ Jesus, that's 2 Corinthians 3 verse 18. I believe that the crisis that is now upon us will define the rest of our lives. And it is very important how we respond to it. There is potential that we simply sleepwalk through it, try to survive, and maybe when we get out to the other end of the cost of living crisis, or, or, or the pandemic, or, you know, the chaos around our government or whatever it is, we just think, oh, thank goodness I survived that. But actually, we've been somehow depleted. Or, I believe we might come through this crisis more like Jesus. And I want us to think about how we can be renewed as we walk through this crisis. And so we're going to look at an absolutely gorgeous um, translation of 
1 Peter 4. This is the message version of 1 Peter 4, verse 1, and then 7 to 13. If you're able to do so, would you stand out of respect for God's word, please? We're going to read this now. 1 Peter 4, verse 1, and then we're going to go to verse 7 to 13. Since Jesus went through everything that you are going through and more, learn to think like him. Everything in the world is about to be wrapped up. So take nothing for granted. Stay wide awake in prayer. Most of all, love each other as if your life depended on it, because love makes up for practically anything. Be quick to give a meal to the hungry, a bed to the homeless, cheerfully. Be generous with the different things that God gave you, passing them around, so all get in on it. If words, let it be God's words. If help, let it be God's hearty help. And that way, God's bright presence will be evident in everything through Jesus. And he'll get all the credit as the one mighty in everything. Encores to the end of time. Oh, yes. Friends, when life gets really difficult, don't jump to the conclusion that God isn't on the job. Instead, be glad that you are in the very thick of what Christ experienced. This is a spiritual refining process with glory just around the corner. Amen. Please be seated. The Apostle Peter says everything's about to get wrapped up. can feel a lot like the end of the world, can't it, right now? Everything's crashing and burning. I was with a, a, a lovely nun a couple of weeks ago, and she fixed a beady eye on me, and she said to me, Pete, you do realize Jesus is coming back soon, don't you? Are you ready? And I sort of said, well, I, 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 try, yeah, I hope so, I try to. Doing my push-ups, you know, eating my muesli. There's a sense of fin de siècle, end of the world, things changing. The Bible uses the word apocalypse. Uh, the popular culture has taken apocalypse just to mean the end of the world. Actually, the original word for apocalypse literally just means an unveiling a clarifying, a seeing things as they really are. The book of Revelation is apocalyptic. The book of Daniel in the Old Testament is in part apocalyptic. Jesus is quite often apocalyptic. He talks about in the end days, you know, there'll be wars and rumors of wars. You know, the love of many will grow cold. And so this is a theme through the Bible that suddenly feels kind of familiar to us. And we are in three weeks' time actually going to launch a, a series together exploring the apocalypse. And I, but trust me, it's going to be encouraging. Don't worry. You don't sit there thinking, oh, grief, life's tough enough. Now I have to go to church and hear about the end of the world. It's going to be good, okay? It's going to be called Stranger Times, uh, A Beginner's Guide to the Apocalypse. And it, 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 it may even be occasionally funny. Um, but, but, but there's this sense that the world is ending that all things are being wrapped up, as the Apostle Peter says here. And, and, and he says, therefore, you need to stay wide awake in prayer. Don't sleepwalk through the end of the world. 
Stay wide awake. Don't be like zombies. I, there's something deep within me that's very zombie-like. You know, when everything is, a, is just kind of too big and too scary, I can just shut down, stare at my phone, anything to escape. Watch only fools and horses. <laughs> and and, and I, I can just sleepwalk through those times when life just feels too much. But the Apostle Peter fixes us with a beady stare and says, no, 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 stay wide awake. It is an unveiling. It is a seeing clearly in times like this. What do I mean by an unveiling or seeing clearly? I mean this, that when everything goes wrong, instead of looking at the world and saying, God, where are you in this mess? We have the opportunity to say, there you are, God. You said it would be a mess. Because, see, we get so comfortable in the world that when it's not, you know, the perfect Western dream, we're like, where is God? And he's like, I was never really in that perfect Western dream. You were never meant to think that your political leaders would solve everything. I mean, the book of Revelation is written with emperors trying to, like, persecute and kill Christians. You knew you were never meant to find your security in your mortgage or your pension or your bank account or your job because all things will come to an end in this life, either because Jesus comes back or you will die. Find your hope in things eternal. Find your hope in the Word of God and the promises of God and in Jesus Christ, those things that survive the fire. And so times like this that are so scary and can make us want to turn into zombies actually can be a moment of, oh, oh yes, God, I see what really matters. And I, I know looking at many of you have suffered greatly. And one of the things that we experience in times of suffering is this unveiling, this clarifying. You suddenly see what really matters. I remember in the long years of, of Sammy's illness being at its worst, you know, the, the things I craved were not, you know, if only we'd had a better TV. It was, oh, will we ever get back to just putting the kids together, to bed together, or... It sounds ridiculous going to the supermarket to get it's just really the ordinary things. This is clarifying when things are difficult. And uh, so um, the apostle Peter here says in verse one, learn to think like Jesus. Learn to think like Jesus. Thinking like Jesus changes everything. Changes the way we watch the news. Changes the way we look in the mirror. Changes the way we look at our bank account. I, uh, I've been getting some problems with my neck just down the back at the right there. And I went to see a chiropractor. He said a very interesting thing to me. He said, um, you know, when your posture is correct, your head weighs about 12 pounds, 12 and a half pounds. And, and that weight is just transferred down your spine. But if your posture is bad, and so, you know, you're slouching, your neck, instead of being this vertical support, becomes a lever, and the weight of your head effectively increases. 
He said, if your posture is bad, your head goes from weighing 12 and a half pounds to 40 pounds. And that's why everything starts to ache and hurt and get out of alignment, because you're carrying this incredible weight. I think that's a little picture of the times in which we live. How are we to posture ourselves at a time like this? If our posture is right, the load will be relatively light. But if our bodies are out of alignment right now, if we're not standing right in this season, we will feel the weight. We will become burdened. We will be stressed. Everything will hurt. How are we to posture ourselves and stand in a season like this? How do we avoid sleepwalking through it? How can we be renewed day by day? And in this passage, which is just so lovely, I, 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 I so appreciate how practical the Apostle Peter is. He gives three keys that can help us not to be like zombies in this season, but to be renewed day by day, to stay wide awake. First of all, in prayer. That's the first one, stay wide awake in prayer. We'll talk about that in a second. Secondly, love each other as if your life depended on it. This is a time to love more, not less. And thirdly, he talks in very practical terms about how to be generous in a season like this. So let's think about those together. First of all, Stay wide awake in prayer. If a time like this doesn't call us to prayer, one might wonder whatever will. And God help us if we pray like crazy when something happens personally in our own lives, but then when the whole world is, in, is hurting, we don't bother praying if we're okay. What does that even say about our values? There's a call to prayer in this moment. And it's a particular kind of prayer because Peter is saying stay wide awake in prayer. That's interesting to me because he's saying that prayer is a kind of a seeing. It's the opposite of a sleeping. Prayer, we often talk about in terms of, you know, miracles and we want to see breakthrough and, you know, we're going to pray and fast until something happens. And we believe in that as a church. We believe in miracles. To quote hot chocolate. Anyone remember hot chocolate? Before they continue less helpfully, since you came along, you sexy thing. Um, we, we, we believe in miracles. We believe in the power of prayer. But this seems to be intimating something about prayer that is about a seeing clearly, a thinking like Jesus, a reformulating of uh, reality. Verse 12, when life gets really difficult, don't jump to conclusion that God isn't in on it. A seeing of God in the midst of the mess. And the reason I've put this picture up, some of you will have heard me talk about this before, but this is a, 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 a Renaissance masterpiece by um, uh, Lippi, L-I-P-P-I, one of the great painters of that era. And it's in the National Gallery uh, it depicts the Virgin Mary with Jesus on her lap, and those are Saints Dominic and Jerome kneeling at her feet, as I'm sure you uh, already knew. And um, the thing about this is, you know, it's a Renaissance masterpiece, so it's in the National Gallery, and they have to put a massive great gold frame on it, as you can see. But the art critics have never been that fond of this painting. They're like, 
yeah, it's a masterpiece, but it's not a great masterpiece. And one of the reasons, I don't know how clear it is, but they, 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 they feel that the perspective's not right. That, that hill in the background looks like it's going to tumble over Mary's shoulder out of the frame. And so they're always like, well, you can't, you know, you, you're going to have to hang it in the National Gallery, but. Now, there's this famous uh, art critic called Robert Cumming, not a believer, uh, but he, he, was, he was standing in front of this painting one day in the National Gallery, and um, he suddenly had an epiphany. He suddenly realized something should be so obvious. Lippi didn't paint it to hang in an art gallery. He painted it as an altarpiece to sit on an altar at the end of a church. You can kind of see that, actually, from the shape of the frame. And so Lippi very self-consciously, because he's like this proud art critic, kneels down on the marble floor with tourists all going, well, what's he doing? That's not a very good painting. And Lippi said, as he knelt down, humbled himself before this depiction of the Lord, he said it was as if everything morphed and came perfectly into perspective. All those years, we thought the painting was the problem, but it was our posture that was the problem. As long as we stand like proud critics observing, we will get the picture wrong. But when we humble ourselves, when we bow the knee in prayer, when we lower ourselves before the Lord Jesus Christ, the whole of life comes into perspective when we kneel between Saints Jerome and Dominic. I've experienced that again and again. I know many of you have in prayer. There's something about life that does turn me into this zombie. My hormones are saying, do this. The weather is making me feel that. My bank account is making me think the other. And I'm just kind of a puppet of, did this person make me laugh? Did they make me cry? And I know there's something within me that when I'm under pressure, I can become impatient and distracted and scattered. But as I stop and focus on Jesus as the center of reality, and remember that my feelings are subjective, not objective, and that I am not that important, and I am shock horror, not the center of the universe, as I kneel and humble myself and remember who Jesus is and what I really believe and what his word says and how his promises apply to my life, everything comes into healthy perspective again. And I leave my prayer time and nothing has changed. My bank account's still the same. The kids are still the same. But everything has changed because my posture, my perspective has changed. There's something about prayer that helps us stay wide awake, that helps us see things as they are, that helps us be renewed day by day. And so I want to strongly encourage you uh, to book out your hour or more in the prayer room as our prayer week uh, starts uh, this coming week on the 7th. And uh, it's just wonderful to be stepping back into kind of our core. 24-7 prayer is our core. It's where this church came from, 24-7 prayer rooms. Uh, and now people all around the world are doing it. 
And I just want to really encourage you, don't miss out, book your time in there. And, and it, honestly, one of the most precious things can be to get in there at night. Bec- you know, Jesus often prayed at night. And it, it's sort of um, not just something we'll do as his followers, but there's something so precious about going out a little sleep to actually be with God. It's intimate. And I'm going to be absolutely honest with you. The way it works is this. Um, One, bag the best slots. If you wait to the end, you'll just have to take, like, whatever's left. So, like, even, like, during this service, get on your phone and just nick a slot that will work with your schedule. That's the first thing. Lure the jungle out there, people. Secondly, um, your book, say say you go, yeah, I'm going to try that. I'm going to try that, you know, that, that, that praying the night thing. And you book up for, say, 3 a.m. Tuesday week. Okay. And here's how it will work. Because you're like, yeah, I want to stay wide awake in prayer. You know, I want to be like Trigger's brood. (laughs) I believe in miracles, you know. And then at 2.30 a.m. on that Tuesday morning, your alarm will go off. And you will go, this is the stupidest idea in world history. I have a busy day tomorrow. I had a busy day yesterday. I need this like a hole in the head. The only thing that will make you go to that wretched prayer room at 2.30 a.m. that Tuesday morning is that some poor soul is there who can't go home until you arrive. Nothing to do with God and Jesus. It's them. And you'll turn up really grumpy. Greg, stupid. He's wrecking my life. And, and, and you're knocking the door open, and someone with coffee breath will pray for you. Oh, God, give them a great time in here. Thanks so much. I can go to sleep now. Amen. And leave. And then the door will shut. And nine times out of ten, I promise you, you'll have the most amazing time with the Lord Jesus Christ. The Bible says, those who seek me will find me when they seek me with all their hearts. The question, how do you know when it's with all your hearts? Oh, easy, 3 a.m. <laughs> 11 a.m., maybe. <laughs> One time out of ten, it's absolutely terrible. I've had some terrible times in prayer rooms. Some of us just fallen asleep. One time, a guy was prophesying over me, and I fell asleep. <laughs> he thought I was, like, out in the spirit. I woke... I woke up, I had a brick in my hand. It was a prophetically significant brick to this day. I have no idea what this brick symbolized. But whenever I see this guy, Justin, I say, oh, the brick. Mm. Still, mm, I'm still, still just carrying that, yeah. Mm. No idea. <laughs> but nine times out of ten, you have an amazing time. So that's, that's the first key to, you know, not sleepwalking through the apocalypse, but being renewed is stay wide awake in prayer. Think like Jesus. Next, the Apostle Peter says, love each other as if your life depended on it. Don't you just adore that? Love each other as if your life depends on it. I don't know about you, but when I'm anxious and stressed, I get impatient, I get grumpy, I get distracted. My wife's nodding. And love isn't automatic. If anything, I downgrade love in a time of chaos. But 
we are urged here, no, don't do that. Love more than ever in the season that we are entering. Maybe that's why the Apostle James says perfect love casts out fear. I love that casting out. It's not, would, would you mind leaving? It's casting out. It's like, get out, fear. That's what perfect love does. Fear goes, that's not very loving. So, um, this love and fear are like enemies. They're different. And, and we have probably a straight binary choice as we enter this season of so much trial about whether we are going to live fearfully or we are going to love deeply. But we probably can't do both. And if we commit to loving deeply and sacrificially in this season, then we will not live with the same anxiety. Love casts out fear. Love each other as if your life depended on it. Let's be quick to forgive each other. Let's really take Jesus literally when he talks about going the second mile. Let's, let's do whatever it takes. I wonder if there are people that, if you're honest, you're taking for granted. And you think, do you know, I, I actually need to thank them and acknowledge and honor what they are in my life. I think, particularly blokes, we, we often you know, have mates, but we're not very good at ever articulating how much we value and need and appreciate each other. Unless we have 25 pints, which is not advisable. Other people that we need to forgive. Are there people that we could bless? So that's the second key to staying wide awake in the apocalypse, being renewed. It's, it's, it's a commitment to love sacrificially. And then thirdly and finally, the Apostle Peter talks in this passage about being very generous in three very practical ways. And, and I'm aware this is unbelievably counterintuitive at a time where every instinct is protect, withdraw, you know, j j just, just be as selfish as I possibly can because it's me, myself, and I, and we've just got to get through this. But the Apostle Peter says at a time where all things are being wrapped up, be generous, first of all, in speech. He, he talks in this passage about being generous with our words. He, sa he says, those who have the gift of words, that's interesting to me. Some people, they just, they've got the gift of the gab, haven't they? They're talkers. They're really good with words. He says, look, if you're good with words, make sure that the words of God, make sure that they are loving words. Speak well. I, I was so interested. I don't Who here's watched the new Lord of the Rings um, Tolkien thing? Anyone watching that? Great. It's good. It's, opinion is divided, isn't it? I'm getting a lot of that. They spent a billion quid and you're like that. <laughs> Tolkien... As you know, author of Lord of the Rings, um, led, was a believer in Jesus. And he led his friend, C.S. Lewis, to Jesus, who obviously went on and wrote, you know, Lion, Witch, the Wardrobe and all of that. But I, I read something this week. I thought it was, it was very moving. It's Tolkien being really insecure about Lord of the Rings. Uh, listen to this. He says, 
I have never had much confidence in my own work. And even now, when I am assured, still much to my grateful surprise, that it has value for other people, I feel diffident, reluctant, as it were, to expose my world of imagination to possibly contemptuous eyes and ears. And then he says this, but for the encouragement of C.S. Lewis, I don't, do not think that I should ever have completed or offered for publication The Lord of the Rings. He was so, he's, he's like this big cheese academic, and this is like stories about people with hairy feet. <laughs> he's like, this is not good for my reputation. He said, I wouldn't have published Lord of the Rings if it wasn't for his friend encouraging him that it was good and of some value. Is it possible that the greatest legacy of some of our lives might not be what we achieve, but what we help other people to achieve? Do you know the power of your words? The answer is yes, you do. Because we all feel the agonizing pain when someone uses words to pull us down and criticize. And we all know that feeling of walking a little taller as we receive encouragement. Mike Argar, he's an encourager. He's always encouraging. Someone sent me a, a, a voice message a couple of weeks ago. I've, I, I, I'm not fishing for whatever. I, I've had more criticism over the last year than I think I've ever had in any of my life, publicly and privately. Just like stuff. I just said something, ouch. Um, and this person just sent me a voicemail telling me I was doing great. They're proud of me. And I just broke down in tears. I, did, I mean, I was fine. I was like making a coffee. But I, I was like, oh, there's something going on in me here. It's the power of words. the power to be generous with our speech, to be encouragers. At a time where our colleagues at work are frightened silly, to be those who speak positively and affirmingly and hopefully and encouragingly. Love as if your life depended on it. Finally, um, oh sorry, sorry no, penultimately, uh, the Apostle Peter says we should be generous not just with our speech but in service. This is a really interesting phrase he, he uses here and uh, it just sprung out at me. He says be generous with the different things God gave you. If words, let it be God's words. If help, let it be God's hearty help. Isn't that interesting? Because I know a lot of people who are like, Pete, you're always banging on. You're fine with words. But th th I'm happy. We're just serving. And I know a lot of people who are just brilliant. At, they'll do anything for anyone. They are servant-hearted people. They are practical people. And, and you know... Um, the Apostle Peter is honoring that here and says that if that's your gift, you're just good at helping, giving your time and giving your abilities, giving your skills in practical ways. He's honoring that and he says, do it for and with the Lord. If I can um, be really candid with you, you know, we, we, we've had a thousand percent increase in demand for our services, our social transformation services because of the needs in the culture right now. A thousand percent, I'm told. How do we keep up? Well, we, we need people to volunteer. And you may say, I don't, you know, I, I'm struggling right now, but I, I might be able to give a bit of time. 
if you're able to volunteer on a team, there's all sorts of teams. We just came from Aldershot. It's like they're full. It's like it's amazing. It's like revival. <laughs> it's amazing what's happening. The Lord is with us, but we need all hands on deck. So if you're able to volunteer, to you know, to join a prayer team, to lug kit around, to work with children, to help at lighthouse, whatever it is, we need you. So gift of help. And then this is the final one. Be generous, not just with speech, so we're loving in the way we talk, and not just in service, so we're loving in giving our time and using our hands, but be generous with stuff. Be generous financially. And I am acutely aware that some, we, some people have written to us, say, I'm really sorry, I'm going to have to reduce my standing order. And we totally get it. We understand that. And please understand. But I just I, I still want to be honest. I was, t- I was talking to someone recently, and I s- they said, how can we pray about the church? And I said, well, I told them some things. He said, the church has to know this. Why aren't you telling us? And so I, I'm gulping. I'm a bit nervous here. I'm going to tell you, you know, we, we are losing so much money a month that we're just praying like mad that he does a miracle. But we're about £15,000 a month down on what we need. And we're just trusting the Lord because the demand for our services, caring for the poor, discipling children, planting churches, running up, has never been greater. And we want to be mission-driven. But quite rightly, the more operational guys are going, are going like our reserves are going fast. And I think there's a perception that we're rich or something. We're really not. We're, we're just, we're knocking our knees and trying to trust God. And here's the thing that this guy said, you've got to tell people. And I'm like, I don't want to offend anyone. I'm English. But only, only 35% of this church give regularly. And you may have noticed we're not very good at even passing the basket around. We don't get very much in that. So it's not that everyone else is putting, you know, doing it. But people just aren't. The majority of people who are using the service aren't giving regularly. I don't want to put a heavy trip on you. If you really can't afford, that's fine. Okay, we're just thrilled to give it to you. But the truth is some of us could afford to give 10 quid a month or 50 quid a month or 100 quid a month. And I don't really mind how much it is. I just feel like if it's family, if it's not family for you, don't give us a penny. But if you're like, this is my family, then we've got to chip in to pay for the bills. It's just the way it works. And if it's only a fiver, that's fine. Just do whatever you can do. And I feel like even prophetically, at a time where everyone is worried about money, to actually say, no, I'm going to put my trust in God. And I'm going to remind myself that this is God's money. I'm going to give. I'm not going to become more selfish. I'm going to become more sacrificial. So I don't want to be heavy on you, okay? Please, no one feel pressured to give. If you're in debt or you're struggling, we want to help you with that. If we can, we'll give you some money. But I'm just trying to be candid with you because I think this is family, that that's, that's where we're at. And we're praying like mad. But it may be that God's trying to answer prayers by speaking to some of you about, look, come on, you can give something. So if you're able to, I know this is a crazy time to be setting up a standing order. We would so appreciate it. So um, enough said on that. Let's draw this together now. What if the band could actually come up, please? And as I always say, play some New Age style music at the beginning. So 
I just love this passage we've been looking at today. Think like Jesus. Things are getting wrapped up. Stay wide awake in prayer. Love like your life depends on it. And be generous with your speech and your acts of service and your stuff. So practical and so relevant to the time we are in. And so, you know, everywhere we look, we see chaos and confusion. And maybe for you, the the challenge today is, I need to stay awake in prayer, and I'm just going to book into the prayer room. I'm going to reboot my daily quiet time. I'm going to download the Lectio 365 app and try and use that. Whatever it is, but I'm going to try and focus like um, Robert Cumming in front of that Liffey painting. I'm going to try daily to kneel before Jesus and let my perspective be shaped by him rather than what I see on social media. So that may be a challenge for some of us, just this, the spirits gently saying, hey, just kneel, kneel. This is a season to kneel. And then for some of us, we are experiencing increasing anxiety. Maybe it's very understandable anxiety. But I talked about how perfect love casts out fear. And this call for us to love deeply. Love initiates. If you're thinking, well, everyone else isn't being very loving, you've missed it. Start being loving, and you'll trigger loving responses. For Christ, we love because Christ first loved us. His love is the initiative, not whether the person next to you, the person in your collective is being loving. His love is the initiative that enables us to create cultures of love. And then I've been very specific about the fact that as we enter this financial crisis, if you're in a position to help us as a church, not just to survive, but to thrive, to grow, to take the extraordinary opportunities that are presenting themselves to us, for the glory of Jesus, please, can you, uh, if you don't already, begin to give regularly. But it might also be not giving money, but giving time. Do this practical stuff. The Apostle Peter says we can be like, there's a feather on here, look at that. We can be like Trigger's broom. And outwardly, you know, the hairline is still receding, the belly is still expanding, <laughs> the wrinkles are coming, but inwardly I'm being renewed, made new into the likeness of Jesus. I can come out the other end of this crisis more like the Lord Jesus Christ. That's got to be worth going for, hasn't it? Beautiful. Let's stand together, please.